consistent word we've been getting from the Lord for 2019 is fresh. God is doing something fresh at Vineyard Northwest. Fresh vision. People are coming from all over the region to be refreshed. A fresh look at our ministries and facilities, fresh fire in God's increased presence, and a time to refresh some important ministry resources. Hey everyone, exciting news. We're starting a four-week giving campaign. Starts now and ends May 19th, and it's called the Fresh Campaign. In the last few years, God's been doing a lot of exciting stuff here at Vineyard Northwest. Uh, we've just seen the Holy Spirit moving in power. A prophetic ministry is opening up in a really healthy way. And we've been seeing our influence, not only in our local community, but in the city and the region increasing. So with the Fresh Campaign, we have a dual focus upgrading our Sunday morning live stream and combating heroin in Cincinnati. Stay tuned. All right. Anyone excited about the Fresh campaign? Is that gonna be good? So just showed that video to kind of give you a quick um, update if you weren't here last week, but we announced that we're doing a four week giving campaign called the Fresh campaign. And each week we're taking a little bit of time to focus in this part of the service, 10 or 15 minutes, to focus on a different aspect of what we're doing um, with a fresh campaign. So the goal is $300,000. I think we're gonna probably double or triple that number because I see a ton of generous people in our church and in our room. But this morning, I'm going to break down for you the two, two parts two focuses of the campaign of Fresh. Number one, updating our media, and number two, refreshing our church. And then next week, we'll be focusing on renewing our city through combating heroin. Um, we have an awesome interview we filmed this week with the assistant fire chief of Corrine Township. His name's Will Mueller, and he and another guy founded an organization that has gone nationwide and has seen radical reductions. I'm talking like 40% reduction in a heroin overdoses wherever this team is implemented. So, and it all started here in Coleraine. How cool is that? So, there's something special about our city. But this morning, like I said, I'm going to talk to you about updating our media and refreshing our church. So let's start with updating our media. Wasn't that a good video that you guys just saw? Now, that wasn't outsourced. That wasn't like made by some outside organization. Our, our guys here at the church, Micah Dawkins and Alec Johnson, two guys in the creative department, led the charge making that video. And it didn't take them months or it wasn't like this elaborate, crazy long process of planning, but they did it in just two weeks time with the equipment we currently have. So I just wanna see what it would be like to really unleash these guys with tools that were appropriate and relevant technologically to our day and age and see what they could create and see what they could come up with. Um, we wrote out a little description. By the way, I hope you got a program when you came in. Um, inside of the program, there's a couple of different things that have to do with the Fresh campaign. There's a card I'm about to tell you about here in a second. And then there's also a, a second program within your program, Program Inception today. And um, in this program, it's just full of prophetic words that have kind of led us to this point of, of why we're doing the campaign right now. And then on the back information to kind of remind you how to give and how to participate that way. But talking about updating our media, I, I want to see what the guys that we have here at this church are capable of with the right equipment. 
God has brought some amazingly talented people onto the staff of this church that specifically work with media and um, the whole technological umbrella of our church. And right now, they're honestly just being shortchanged by the equipment we have. In this, um, on this card, Tyler, uh, the worship leader of the church, wrote up a kind of description of our heart behind updating our media. And I want to read it to you right now. In this age of social media and live streaming, the equipment we have is groaning under the weight of its inadequacy. He quoted that from the book of Romans, just, just in case you're wondering where he got that, that language. Um, that's in the message translation of Romans. No. Having been originally installed only for the purpose of sending low-definition video to our atrium TVs, our incredibly talented tech team has done technological gymnastics to make it work for our live stream. But it's time to get the tools we really need to more effectively share what God is doing at Vineyard Northwest. In conjunction with this, we have an updated color scheme, church logo, and interior design refresh we are excited to apply to our building. So... Just a couple stats to kind of paint a picture and some more context for you about um, the, what's happening with media and with the live stream here at Vineyard Northwest. In the past several years, we've had over 87,000 views of our Sunday services. And on top of that, we've had almost 200,000, 180,000 people who've seen it right in front of their face and all they had to do was click to access it. Now, this is gonna blow your mind, it blows my mind, um, but some of the people accessing this stream aren't even in our city, let alone our state or nation. I was seeing a little map this week that had a picture of where all our podcast, our, our podcast is accessed, our Vimeo is accessed, and our Facebook is accessed, and it's happening all over the world, honestly. Now, not in like these crazy numbers, not thousands of people in each nation of the world watching it, but there's significant numbers in Europe, South America, and parts of the Middle East and Asia that are accessing the content our church produces on a regular basis. So what that leads me to think is there are more people tuning in and seeing what's happening here and visiting this church without ever even stepping foot in it than we realize. There's people who are coming and be ministered to and learning and receiving from what's happening here that aren't even physically able to come and be present here. Whether that's because they live in another place or they used to go to this church and they moved somewhere or whatever, but the reach and the impact God has called us to and that God is already doing exceeds this building and this property. So the question that um, I wanna pose to you that I've been thinking about is, what would someone's impression be who never gets to come step foot in the building? Because we all know that this is a beautiful building. There are beautiful people in here. Warm, amazing, powerful ministry happens here. I don't think anyone would hesitate to invite a friend or family member to come to Vineyard Northwest on a Sunday or for one of our events. But would you get the same um, impression? Would you get the same feeling just by viewing our live stream? I wanna show you really quick behind us right now what our live stream looks like, what a message feels like when you're watching on Facebook Live, what worship feels like on Facebook Live. And then we're going to show you a video of some of our friends in Champaign and uh, the Urbana Vineyard and Putty, who leads the School Kingdom Ministry, what their, um, what it looks like if you tune in there, okay, and you're not actually physically present. So let's roll the first video of what our live stream looks like. What happened was there was something inside of me and I just reacted. There was a weapon inside of me and I just went with it because it was in me. If I had waited to see what was going on around me, I might not have done that. 
contrast that with the first time we went to Zimbabwe, um, we, were in, we were pulling out of a, 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 a park. that you incorporate in your life. I'm not here saying you have this meaning hole in your life. If you get the kingdom, it'll fill that meaning hole. That is not what I'm here to tell you. What I'm here to tell you is this, your life gets incorporated into the kingdom. The kingdom is bigger than you. You don't get to take a slice of it, you belong to it. We don't get the kingdom, the kingdom gets us. I'm still in your hands, and this is my confidence. You've never failed me yet, and you never will. And I know the All right, so just by a show of hands, who notices the difference? <laughs> okay. It's not out of our reach by any means to producing, be producing that exact same type of content. And here's what I wanna say. I honestly believe that our region needs us to. I believe that our city and our region needs us to. Every church has different calling, has a different emphasis, have different things it's called to export. And one of the things that this church is called to export is our worship culture and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit ministered by the regular person, okay? It's just what we're called to. To do that effectively, to release that effectively, we have to take the next step with our media department and with the technology we currently have, okay? So this is actually priority number one in our in the fresh campaign and the giving campaign. This is the first thing that money's gonna go towards is taking us a whole, a huge step forward with media. All right, now, kind of changing gears a little bit. Let's, let's think about refreshing our church. Last week, if you were here, you, you heard me tell the story that in 2004, when we built this building, um, we literally based the entire color scheme and the color palette off of Panera Bread at the time. Now. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because it makes us crave bagels. And we, you know, we had to give out bagels for a while, but no. It was a smart move then because Panera was new to Coleraine. What, it, what, it, what people associated with it was an inviting, warm atmosphere, something approachable, something relevant. You didn't feel like you were walking into a cathedral. You feel like you were walking into a place for the regular people, all right? We want to continue that same feel in this building. And Panera Bread has since rebranded and changed their color palette two times. So we as a church, we got to catch up. <laughs> we got to be on the same wavelength, you know. And we really want to keep this building. We, we don't want to make this building feel like you walk into um, New York City or, I'm, I'm just going to be totally honest with you, or feel like you walk into like downtown over the Rhine. That's not us, that's not, this, that's not this area, that's not necessarily first and foremost the people we're called to reach. We're definitely called to 
reach people all over the city from all different backgrounds, rich, poor, everywhere in between. But we want to be true to our feel and who we want to be as a church. Does that make sense? So some of the words we, we uh, listed were we want to keep this building feeling approachable. We want it to feel warm. We want it to feel identifiable. We want people to see you in a picture here and know, oh, that's Vineyard Northwest. That's a really cool building, you know? We want it to be relevant. So that's like where you start a process of remodeling and, and doing a new interior design, doing a refresh, is you kind of state some words, some values are gonna guide the process. The next thing you do is you look at where you are currently and you gain inspiration from where you are at right now. So let's pull up the pictures of the church right now. And this is what we kind of gained inspiration of. What is our flavor? What do we feel like? If you see these pictures. You know, you see that, and you're like, wow, that's Veer Northwest. I remember where I was when George and Banoff was here. Or, man, the youth ministry, there's really powerful stuff happening in student ministry. This creates a feel for what God's already doing here. And we just want to build on that and take it one step up. So we gained inspiration from churches around us, and, and not, not even around us, but churches just that we look up to and that we think are um, doing things in a way we want to do too. So here's now a picture of kind of inspiration, some churches we drew from with a design feel. So this is, again, this is meant to be inspiration to guide the process of design, okay? I'm not saying that this is exactly what things will look like, but this kind of paints, um, paints a picture for where we want to go. We were thinking about Photoshopping Van's face onto Bill Johnson, <laughs> but the head size didn't really work out or something, I don't know. Um, so that's, that's the inspiration we're getting from others. Now we're looking at uh, now, now I want to pull up the mood board. And the mood board is what determines like what our new color scheme is going to be, um, some of the feel of the lighting, some of the trim work, tabletop, stuff like that. So if we could pull up the mood board, that'd be great. All right. So over here on the far left, what we have is the kind of new guiding color palette for the church. These colors, that blue and that green, are, you're going to be seeing more of. The pink, the, the salmon is kind of like a tertiary color that we'll be using for things. But to bring some pop, to bring some vibrancy, to bring some color. Right now, all we have is pop, vibrancy, and color. All right? So we got to tone it down a little bit <laughs> with some grays, some dark colors, some white. And these colors in this room are going to make a world of difference when it comes to videography, photography, and streaming. It's just going to help immensely to have a different color palette that's not these bright colors, like those bright top colors in this room. When you look over one column, this is more inspiration for maybe like wood paneling we'll put in front of the stage, kind of just a lighting concept. You're not necessarily going to see those exact lights, but it's a concept, again, to kind of stir us. Same with that little area rug. It's just to kind of point us in a direction. Um, you come over here, those are uh, fabrics that maybe would go on furniture or just different areas. Again, concepts. Other than the far right side, good news, we have really hip relevant concrete okay so our stained concrete which is on the very bottom that's what it currently looks like out there we're not changing we're keeping it it's amazing um, but above it is like a new carpet and then trim work tabletops etc um, the concepts what that's going to look like so now I want to show you in just a second renderings of the direction we're going with how to redesign um, this room and how to design the atrium. And actually, Micah, I want to show the atrium first, okay? But I'll tell you when. I just want to give this kind of disclaimer. 
The first priority for the campaign is the media. That's where we're going first. Now painting the, painting the rooms that has to happen in conjunction with the media. But depending on reaching our goal and exceeding our goal of 300,000 is how much we're gonna be able to update other aspects of the church. So that's what, that's what I wanna show you now is a picture of what the atrium could be looking like in November. So that's pretty sweet. I like it. All right, all right. I think an applause is very, very good to have right now. Better than booze. Um, sweet, let's, let's flip to the next picture. So this would be kind of the new layout, potentially the atrium over here on the right. We'd have, that's going to be like a dedicated welcome center space where new people and people who are kind of learning about the church can go. Over on the left, we've mitigated our coffee bar. Even though coffee is really important, we decided it's not worth half the room. And we're just going to use a quarter of the room for that. That's where coffee will be served. Um, but then we're trying to create a place that's inviting for you guys to even come during the week if you want to, to work on stuff, to have meetings, and for this, our staff to be able to use at an increased volume. Because honestly, we're, we're limited with our um, office space. So some of this is to give us more space to work. Um, now look down that hallway. This is something I'm really excited about. This is gonna be a kind of new and improved child check-in area. And there'll be another child check-in area on the other side of the church, but this is gonna make it just a streamlined, easier process for people with families to come and to print out their kid's name tag. For new people, that it's gonna be like a really easy, streamlined process. They're not waiting a long line before they drop their kids off at kids' church. And there'll be like kind of a viewing area there for families to be able to watch during the service if their kid gets ornery. I know all about ornery kids, all right? I got a two-year-old and I got one on the way. So, yeah. Anyways, we love them, though. They're so beautiful and just, yeah. Okay. Now I want to show you a picture of this room, what the auditorium potentially is going to look like. So, we're, we, got, we got a ton of disembodied spirits going on. Don't let that confuse you. But... <laughs> we're not, we're not going to practice any new form of, you know spirit travel or anything like that, don't worry. This is just to give you a picture of what the room would look like with people in it, all right? So I just want to point out the walls are a different color um, and the stage is a little bit lower. We're going to really greatly improve the lighting all around and then we're going to lower the stage one or maybe even two steps. And one of the big reasons for that is we want and we need more stage space. Every step we go down, we get about 12 inches. We get about a foot of space for uh, camera people to be up here and capturing things. And just for our worship leaders to be able to really let loose and lead worship. You know, worship leading, really quick rabbit trail, worship leading isn't just about a voice, it's about a body posture. And they set the tone for all of us for how expressive and how free we can be. We wanna give them more space to do that and just to have a, just more adequate stage space for what we feel like is relevant to this room. So that's what the auditorium will look like, all right? Um, kind of conclude my portion. My parents are about to come up, Van and Lori, and they're going to share about um, more of the history of giving campaigns to this church and where we've been is. I just want to encourage you to make sure you get a program on your way out and to be meditating on the prophetic words, to be reviewing this card, and to really be praying and seeking the Lord on how much and how your family and how you're going to participate in this giving campaign. Just really quick basic math for you. If 300 people give $1,000, bang, there's our goal. Just nail it. So like this isn't a lofty thing that we can't attain. Wait, is that math right? What's 300 times 1,000? 
okay, great. I was like, is that three million? Um, I don't do the accounting, okay, don't worry. I don't count the offerings. I don't cut the paychecks. They keep me away from that. So anyways, just be praying, guys. We want to do this together. And I'm just excited about freshening the church and really presenting ourselves in a new, fresh light according to what God's doing here. So right now I'm going to welcome my parents, and they're going to talk more about it. Founding senior leaders of the church. I have mine. Hi. Is this on? I don't need it. I have my headset. Hey, good morning, everyone. While we work out our issues here, just be patient. Actually, we're going to be teaching a marriage class. Video's going to come up here in a little while. So you're not, you are, if, you, if you get to know us, you are not going to feel like your marriage is in dire condition. You're going to say, oh, we're better off than I thought. So I thought it would be good just to tell you briefly how we ended up with this building. And um, the church started in 2001. Uh, Three years later, we were in the YMCA meeting there, had two services going on, and the place was just packed. Uh, we We grew quickly. And we had two services already, so there wasn't really any place for us to expand. Um, We didn't have anywhere else we could go. The local school system you can't get into unless 50% of your people are from this uh, school district, and we didn't have that. Uh, And so I was one Sunday morning just kind of like in despair. The place was packed. Everybody else is very joyfully, enthusiastically worshiping. I'm I'm standing up front just saying, oh, God, what are we going to do? And and not having any idea what we're going to do. And God spoke to me very clearly and said these two words. He just simply said, test me. Now, that's a word from the Old Testament, Malachi, where he said, test me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you're not able to contain. And so I knew that. So, okay, test, test me. I'm not sure what that means, Lord, but I'm good with it. Then later that day, God broke into my thoughts in the middle of the afternoon again and said, test me. And that night, we're watching a TV show. I'm sure it was an engrossing crime drama or something like that. And right in the middle of it, uh, those two words just broke into my, my mind again, test me. And so it was shortly after that that this property became available and uh, we, we had had a, a kind of an outside source of income for a while when the church started, which uh, we wisely, with the counsel I had, we, we wisely decided we're not going to use that for our ongoing budget. We'll save that for capital expense someday. And so we had the money in the bank to buy this land. We made an offer on it. Closing the next Monday, that was a Friday. We're closing on next Monday or Tuesday. And right at the last minute, another buyer stepped in and offered more than what we had offered. And even though we did not outbid him, uh, the, the family still sold us the property. And it was just an amazing story that goes beyond what I just shared with you, but really cool. So we, we bought this property and we put together a facility planning team. And that team worked for months with a high five design build firm, planning this whole building and and working through all the details. And uh, then we entered into a giving campaign. We called it the next step. And we called it that because we didn't consider this building to be our, our our final landing spot. We thought this was the next step in the development of this church ministry. 
And so um, that, that started in February of 2005. And the day that we started the giving campaign, a very cold day, our propane tank, in the, get up in the morning, the house is cold, propane tank is run dry. And we were on a system where the, um, the propane company was supposed to come and fill it up automatically without us calling them. So after the service, I spent the rest of my day arguing with the propane company about why they couldn't come out that very day and fill our tank. But um, also at the same, around the same season, Lori was just getting over bronchitis and pneumonia. And she developed this thing called laryngospasm where for unexplained reasons, your throat just goes shut and you can't breathe. And so that's a pretty terrifying thing, but we were dealing with that the whole time, had to call the ambulance at least once in the middle of the night. And um, so those things were going on too, which I'm convinced was spiritual warfare. It was just the enemy trying to, trying to smack us and say, okay, you think you're going to do this? Well, there's going to be a price to pay. But, um, but there, there's always spiritual warfare to anything significant that when the kingdom moves ahead. But um, we, we came to, um, to this campaign knowing that what we needed to do was to raise $500,000 in a one-day offering because there were no banks that would talk to us because the church had not, did not have a five-year track record until we talked to PNC and they, they would talk to us and they would loan us the money to build this building, but we had to have $500,000 to put down on it. We had 300 people. And so uh, when we started the giving campaign, attendance is 300 people, maybe a little bit less than that. And we go through this whole thing and we come to the big day that we're going to receive this offering that needs to be $500,000. And I got up that morning and I thought, I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go. This is not going to happen. You know, what, what are we thinking? 500000 How are we ever going to raise $500,000? 200 at the most, maybe two fifty. But uh, I was just like despairing. And uh, my dad taught me, you go to work no matter what. So I went, I came. And um, we, we had a big event up in Fairfield at the receptions facility there. And uh, people gave land. One, one family gave a piece of land they had that we could sell. Uh, people gave, of course, stocks and bonds and cash. Uh, and people gave jewelry. One couple had been married previously, and they realized they still had a bunch of jewelry from their previous marriages, and they thought, we, we, why are we keeping that? Let's, you know, so they donated that, and we were able to sell that and, and, and include that. Someone gave a coin collection. Someone gave a, um, a family heirloom that we were able to, to sell and add to. So just a variety of creative ways that people came up with to give. And when they counted the money, not only did we get 500000 we got close to $700,000. Yeah, it's amazing. It was, just, it was just amazing to see and to see how, how that whole group sacrificed. Um, it's just incredible. Uh, you know, God's stretching my thinking in another area right now, and that is how long churches last. They say that a church has to reinvent itself every 20 to 25 years or it'll die. 
and because the original vision is no longer relevant to the current culture in our day. And so I'd always thought, well, churches just hit a, have a, they have a shelf life, and eventually they all go become liberal, or they just dwindle away to just a handful of people. And then last summer, God challenged me through a book I was reading about companies that had lasted over 100 years. And they'd studied these companies, and they determined that all of them lasted over 100 years because they had figured out a way to pass their values on. And so that started to tweak my thinking. And I thought, well, wait a second, maybe that can happen. And then we visited a church in Boston last summer uh, called Park Street Church, which I'd heard of for years. And um, when we visited it, I was surprised. It started in 1810. And so it's like 208 years old when we visited it. And it's still preaching the gospel. They still believe the Bible. They're still sending gospel preaching missionaries out around the world. And I thought this church somehow held on to their original vision and call and mission and stayed true to God for 200 years. So if they can do that, we can do that. And so I revised my whole thinking to this now. We're building something now that's going to last for at least 200 years. It's going to carry on values and beliefs and ministry that's going to go from generation to generation. It'll be expressed according to the cultural needs of the day, but it will hold to the same biblical truth, power of the Holy Spirit, healing ministry, and advancing of the kingdom of God that we live with today. And so that, that's just really, that lights my heart up. So, yeah. Yeah, boy. I just want to preach. I want to preach that, <laughs> that we're here to make disciples until the Lord tarries. So we are here for the duration. And when I look around the congregation, I just see a bunch of people that were here when mm -hmm. we raised that money. That's right, yeah. And they made the sacrifice, they made the deposit that we're all benefiting from right now. If you were not here then, this is your opportunity to sow, to sow in for, to future generations. We're reaping what others sowed. Many, many of us here are. And I just was challenged this morning reading um, in John 4 because, you know, Jesus spoke to the woman at the well and many people came to know him that didn't. And he was reaching the lost and the lonely, the Samaritans that weren't part of Israel. But he was speaking to his disciples and I think he's speaking to us today because we, we want to be radical followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm, that's right. And he said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me mm. and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four, yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. No doubt. There's more though. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that, the, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Let's think about being those that sow now for the next ones. Let's join in and be laborers together 
to sew in for future generations, not just a building, bricks and mortar and beautiful lights. We're sewing in a vision. We're sewing in uh, the discipling of ourselves and nations to take the next step with Jesus. So let's just um, pray about what our part is. I know Van and I are praying about that, and I, I just want to encourage you to, to see that this is, this is a vision that we want to partner together with. So thank you. Okay. And let's just pray together about pray. that. Okay? So, Father, yes, we just ask you to come, Holy Spirit. We just welcome your presence right mm -hmm. now. We welcome you to, that you are speaking not just to our hearts, but the vision that you began back in 2001 and 2004 and now in 2019 to reach out to so many in a culturally current way. So we thank you for the vision and for wisdom and your goodness, your provision right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Looks like a great course. How many of you are going to sign up for it? Class size is limited, so I hope, I hope you get in. If not this time, we'll do it again. So I, I have a message for you today that I feel is really important for us to hear. And I, I titled this message Challenging Strongholds because of the Bible story we're going to look at. It's from the Old Testament. And um, strongholds are a, a just a, a key issue in our lives today. In this story, the stronghold consists of a Philistine outpost. The Philistines were a neighboring nation to the Israelites that were a warrior nation. And they had conquered Israel and subjugated Israel and were just really uh, oppressing them and taking advantage of them. And in this story, we're going to see a young man named Jonathan attack and challenge this stronghold. But there are strongholds in our lives today as well, enemy strongholds that keep us from enjoying everything that Jesus provides for us. The, the, the Jews have been led into the promised land where God wanted to bless them. And the Philistines, uh, they subjugated them and kept them from experiencing the fullness of all the blessings of the promised land. And, and for you and me today, when we face personal strongholds of fear, of um, relational issues, uh, fear of rejection, fear of provision, fear of, of fa failure. Some people fear success because they don't know if they can live up to the live up to success. And so many different things that we fear that 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 constrain our hearts and keep us from really seeing who God is and what He wants to do in our lives and what He has actually already provided for us. So this passage um, is is really a profound passage. And, and as we're going to look into it, one of the things I want to make clear is this, that what happened on occasion in the Old Testament, the, the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, what happened on occasion in the Old Covenant is intended to reveal to us what God wants to do every day for us in the New Covenant. In those days, the kingdom broke through on occasion. Today, the kingdom of God is here. And what they had once in a while, God offers to us on a daily basis in walk with Him. So the situation here is this. 
Saul has recently been crowned king. He's the first king of Israel. One of the first things he did was to, uh, to establish a standing army of 3,000 men. Now his son Jonathan took that as a, as a go sign, and Jonathan was a, a real aggressive young man. He took a group of the soldiers out, and he wiped out a Philistine, uh, Philistine encampment, a stronghold, and just, just obliterated it, which that caused the Philistines to send a full army into Israel. So they've sent thousands of hardened professional troops into Israel now, and they're facing Saul and his 3,000 men. Now Saul's guys are all farmers, and the fact is, of those 3,000 men, including Jonathan and Saul himself, there are only two swords in the whole army. So the rest of them are going to fight with, with, um, with uh, pruning, pruning hooks, with sickles, and with other farm implements like that. They don't even have swords to fight with. So when they see this Philistine army lining up across the way, uh, they, they, they go AWOL in mass. And 2,400 of Saul's 3,000 men hit the road. They, they run off to hide. They hide in caves. They hide in thickets. They hide in ravines. That anywhere they can get, they hide. And so Saul's left with 600 men. And Saul has no idea what to do. He doesn't have a concept of who God is that enables him to be bold. He's looking at things simply through his own eyes and his own strength. And things look very, very bleak from a human perspective. And so Saul is in confusion right now. He is stymied and frustrated and flustered and overcome with fear. And so Saul is staying back several miles from the actual battlefield where you could actually confront the enemy. And he's waiting, not knowing what to do. But his son Jonathan was of a different spirit. And Jonathan was the kind of guy that said, let's take this fight to the enemy. And so that's where we pick up the story. Jonathan, Jonathan himself is probably in his early 20s at the most. His armor bearer would have been in his mid to upper teens. And it says this. It says, in, this is in 1 Samuel 14, verses 1 and 4. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. You know, why not? Well, because Saul was king, and if Saul said don't go, Jonathan couldn't do it. And so he didn't want to get, he, he knew what his dad would do. He, he knew his dad's fear. And so he, he, he's not acting in rebellion, He's acting within the realm of his given authority as a commander in the army, but he's doing it without really discussing it with Saul because he knows that his father would, would uh, keep him from doing it. And so verse 4 goes on to say, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sina. Now the situation is this, that about 12 miles north of Jerusalem, there is a ravine, a deep ravine with very steep sides that starts in the Jordan River Valley, and it runs all the way through Israel to the central mountains in, in, the, in the country. And so that whole east side is divided by this ravine. And there's only one place along that whole ravine that you can cross over, and that's near a city called Michmash. 
And at that point, at that place, the, the very steep walls of the ravine just kind of like lay out like this so that it's a gradual decline down into the ravine and then a gradual walk back up out. Nevertheless, armies that come through there can't take all of their equipment through, can't take chariots through there. And so it's a really, it's a really difficult place. That's where Saul is. And I think that he probably has in the back of his mind that strategically that's the best place to be because if the Philistine army tries to go down into the ravine and come back up the other side, then Saul with fewer men and less well-equipped men would have a fighting chance because the Philistines would have to advance up the side, uh, you know, up, up out of the ravine towards them. But uh, Jonathan, he's not waiting. And so Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let's go. And, and the armor bearer is, is more than ready to go. Um, but do we have a picture? Let's, let's show the picture of this ravine, okay? All right. This is a picture of the ravine. I'm not sure if it's the exact place that uh, we're talking about, but it's, it's pretty close. It, it had a look like this, two steep walls on each side. And so um, the one side was called Bozes, and the other side was called Sina. Now, I grew up in western PA along a river, the big river hills, uh, very, very steep hills, lots of cliffs. And I want to tell you, you don't name insignificant cliffs. You know, the cliffs that we had were very creatively named 60 foot and 90 foot. But there were a lot of cliffs on these hills. And, and so these two are bozes, which means white cliff. It, the, the, the word actually means dry bones. And so it's like, like if you see dry bones laying out bleached in the sun, that's what the cliff looked like. Uh, you can see that when the sun would shine on that, it could appear to be white in some places like the white cliffs of Dover. The other, the other cliff was named Sina, which means thorn bush. So one side's covered with thorn bushes. The other side is incredibly steep and, and just a horrible climb up. But um, Jonathan, he's not going to hang back. He's going to go for it. He goes right at it. And it really reminds me of the church today and what God expects of us because it's very easy for us to think in terms of the church being on the defense that we're just trying to hold on. We're just trying to maintain our Christian culture or whatever. And, and yet Jesus, when he talked about the church, he said, I'll build my church. And he said, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Now, in that picture, it wasn't hell trying to knock down the gates of the church. It's the church going against the stronghold of hell. And so we're the ones on the move. It's our job to go after strongholds, whether they're in our own minds, our family, um, in our church, in, in our communities. It's our job to go after the enemy. That's what God's call is to us as a church body. And so Jonathan understood that, and he goes after that. Jonathan was a guy who challenged strongholds. And that's a phrase I want us to get into our minds, is that we challenge strongholds. That's who we are as a church body. We challenge strongholds. So let's say that all together, okay? We challenge strongholds. Again, we challenge strongholds. Okay, this time say, I challenge strongholds. Ready? I challenge strongholds. You know, when we planted this church, the word was that this kind of church wasn't going to be successful on this side of town. 
And, um, and then after we planted and, and the church took root, had different people say, you guys really broke through something there. And now there are other churches that are, that are growing. Uh, and, and that's not to say there aren't good churches in this side of town at all, or that there aren't powerful churches on this side of town. But Vineyard had tried to plant churches over here and was unsuccessful. So we, we stand up against strongholds. We challenge strongholds. Now there's Vineyard West Side and other, other, a lot of other churches uh, similar to this here. But um, as this story goes on, you see in verses 6 and 7, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf, because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So then his armor bearer says, Do all that you have in your mind. Uh, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. And I want to say, first of all, when you hang out with a guy like Jonathan, you get bold yourself. You know, that you hang out with someone that's bold, it rubs off. You start to see them, you start to see how they conduct themselves and how much they trust God, and you become bold yourself. And you look at what Jonathan said. The reason Jonathan was so bold was he, not because he thought he was the greatest fighter around, or he has some special tactic, but it, he said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And so Jonathan is convinced of that. And he understands this truth that natural circumstances don't determine outcome. Okay, Saul's hanging back because of the natural circumstances. Jonathan's pressing in because he knows God can save whether by many or by few. And what that means is the visible natural circumstances that you're witnessing don't determine the outcome. Just think of what a whole church full of people who believe that can do. Just think of the impact that we can have as a church body when we recognize that God's working and all we want to do is what Jonathan did, just get close enough to see what's happening. That's what he's doing right now. He's getting close enough to the battle line, to the battle zone, to see what's happening. Uh, in John 5, 19, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing. And so Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Now that, that causes some people to say, well, God didn't show me anything, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit back. I'm, I'm not going to walk across the room. I'm not going to approach that person. I'm not going to offer to pray for this person because God didn't tell me to. But the simple truth is, the Father is always working. Jesus said that right before he said this in John 17. He said, my Father is always working, and I am working too. So everywhere you are, every room you're in, every place you go, God is working. And what we have to do sometimes is, like Jonathan, we have to say, God can save whether by many or by few. That means he can use me. I'm going to get closer. I'm going to get closer, and I'm going to see what God's doing. Because as we step in, then God speaks to us and shows us. That's what we see here with Jonathan. So then the next thing that happens, Jonathan, in verses 8 through 10, Jonathan said, come on then, we'll cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we'll climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So I look at that, and I think, you know, what a simple word Jonathan's asking for. I mean, he's not asking for anything complicated. 
if you know manhood, if you know men and macho thinking at all, these guys are either going to say, stay down there, or they're going to say, we're going to come and get you, or they're going to say, come on up here and we'll show you a thing or two. So the, the options are pretty limited, and there's a pretty good chance they're going to say what Jonathan asked. Now, in contrast to that, if a person was more fear-based, they might say, all right, if uh, one of their soldiers looks over the edge of their wall and yells down at us, and as he's yelling down at us, he drops dead, falls over the wall, tumbles down to the cliff, and falls dead at our feet, then we'll know that God's in this, and we can go up, and we'll win this battle. Or if when he sticks his head out to yell at us, a bird flies over his head and deposits on him. <laughs> then we'll know that God is in this. But um, he doesn't. He just, it's a simple thing. Here's the thing. A, a heart that's bold, that has confidence in God's abilities, it doesn't take a whole lot of encouragement. It, it doesn't take confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. There's, there's an eagerness to step into it. There's an eagerness to go after it. And, and that's, that's what we see in Jonathan. And it, verses 11 and 12 says, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. So what they've done is they've walked, they've come down into the ravine. I think they went down through the pass and then walked down the ravine to the point that the outpost was right directly above them. The outpost that was viewing and guarding the pass. But they go down through the pass and then go over so that they're, they're going to have to climb this steep cliff to get up to them. But they're right beneath the outpost. And so they show themselves and... Um, both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistine, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, listen to this. Jonathan says, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Right there, right there, okay? What we said, the sign came, the battle's over, it's done, we've won, let's just press into it now. And notice this, they did still have to fight. He, he did still have to draw his sword, he did still have to take this risk. But the battle is won, and Jonathan recognizes that right at this moment. So um, th this, this is amazing, Jonathan sees and has confirmation that God's moving, and, and, and he's ready to go. So here's a second thing I want us to say about ourselves, that we are a people who see God moving and we mobilize. All right, we are a people who see God, who see where God is moving and we mobilize. All right, let's say that together. We are a people who see where God is moving and we mobilize. That means we get up and we move. We don't hang back. God's working over there. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to see what's happening. And when I see it, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to become part of it. And so there's a boldness in Jonathan's heart that I believe the Lord wants to have in each one of our hearts as well. Now last week I shared with you briefly about the, the Fresh campaign and um, how, if, if you weren't here just very briefly, we, we've been planning that since the beginning of the year, but we hit a point about six weeks ago or so where we realized we're really becoming tight cash-wise. And is, as far as the church's operating budget goes. And most of, you know, we have a good budget that, that um, 
that throughout the year it will balance out. But historically, the last few years, most of our giving has come in the last half of the year. And this year, a lot of our spending came in the first half. So until we hit that, that upswing, which I think we might be in even right now, the upswing in giving, um, you know, we're, we're, we're tight cash-wise. And so we met with our advisors and, and we're wrestling with this thinking, well, is this a smart time to do a giving campaign? Should we just focus on the budget and nothing else? And we all started out the meeting thinking that. I think we all started out believing that. And then at one point in the meeting, uh, one, one of the members of the, of the, one of the guys in the meeting said, well, I know it doesn't make any sense to do this while we're also facing the other thing. And, but what if, what's God saying? And what if God's saying that we should go ahead with the fresh campaign anyway? And then another member of the pack said, you know, when you said that, something jumped in my heart. And I thought to myself, you know, this doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe that's why we need to do it. It doesn't make sense, so it does seem like God. And before long, everybody in that room was saying, yeah, we've got to do this. We've got to do both. We, we just have to be honest with the church about it, that there is this factor happening, and, and we're trusting God because we believe God said, go ahead with the giving campaign at the same time. And so that's risk-taking. And I want you to know that we're willing to take risks. And since the very beginning of this church, risk has just been a huge part of who we are. In fact, that's what one of my advisors said. He said, we talk about risk all the time. We need to be willing to take risks too. So, um, so we're, we're, I'm just excited about that when I, when I realize that God honors risk. And, and God really is blessed when we trust Him. Because God's able to save whether by many or by few. So 13 and 14, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. Have you ever climbed a hill that is so steep that you have to use your hands and feet? Anyone? I have. That's where I grew up. That's what the hills were like. And it is, it, you, you are worn out when you get to the top of the hill. And so Jonathan and his, uh, his uh, servant make it to the top of the hill. And it says, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. His armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. That's a space a little bit bigger than this auditorium, but not much. 20 men, it's just one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, maybe two or three at one time over here. But Jonathan moves through this battle confident that God can save, whether by many or by few. And then what happens, this is the most astounding part of the whole thing. Verse 15 and 16, then panic struck the whole army, the whole Philistine army, those in the camp and field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Now, when Jonathan stepped out in his act of boldness, Something happened on that battlefield that the kingdom of God was released in power on that battlefield. Whatever spiritual forces, whatever demonic force was over that, that stronghold and over the Philistine army, that demonic force itself was shaken when God released his presence into the whole battlefield. And people miles away says people on raiding parties and all the outposts, which they didn't have radios, they didn't have communication, they didn't know what had happened. 
And if they had, they would just say, well, we lost an outpost. We, we need to reset. But there's this fear that comes upon the entire army. And what I see in that is that it was one man and, and his two, two of them together, Jonathan's boldness, they stepped out. They said God can save whether by many or by few. They did what God called them to do. They trusted God and their action released victory across the entire battlefield for God's people. This panic comes. Now, think of it like this. They didn't create the panic. He did not create the panic. And he didn't persuade God to release. God was there already eager to release this. He was already eager to rebuke that demonic spirit and release fear over the whole battlefield. All they did was to concur with God. God was just waiting for someone here on earth to say yes to him, to say, yes, I will trust you with that. I'll, tr I'll lay my life down in trust to you for this. And when he had agreement here on earth, then God, according to the way he operates, was able just to pour the kingdom in, just to pour victory in. And, and, and in that, to, to, to end the rule of the Philistines over the Jews. And, and so picture it like this. Well, when I was a young man, I had a car once that had a leak in the radiator, okay? You'd start the engine, it would just start spurting out, and um, long stream of it. And a friend, uh, an older friend said, uh, pour cinnamon in it. He said, oddly enough, he said, an old timer told him this once, he said, oddly enough, that'll plug the hole. So I poured cinnamon in, and I watched, and that radiator leak plugged, and it stopped leaking. Now, the pressure was still there in the radiator, okay? And I'm, I'm amazed watching this, and I'm thinking, I wonder how hard that is. And I reached down with my finger, and I barely touched that little cinnamon patch, and it broke open, and the radiator fluid just started gushing out, not gushing, but it just started squirting out again. It was just a you know, small stream of... And think of it like that. The kingdom of God is here. It is here. It's bursting. It's breaking in. It's just, it's just throbbing with intensity. And there's like a thin membrane separating you and me from experiencing the fullness of what God wants to do and what he wants to pour out. And he's just waiting for someone to say, hmm, wonder what, wonder what, I wonder how sturdy that membrane is. Poke and it gushes out. And so what I'm trying to say is it's, it's not hard the kingdom is here. It takes faith. It takes confidence in who God is and a willingness to obey him. And you never know. You might be the one whose step of obedience is going to release kingdom power all over the battlefield. Your act of obedience might be the one that just blesses generations of people in your family line. Or, or people in your family who are in California or some other, some other place around the world. And you have a breakthrough, and suddenly it's a breakthrough for your whole family line, and they start experiencing some freedom because the kingdom of God is breaks through there because of what you did here. And I look at that for us as a church body, and I just want to say every one of us is significant. Every one of us is important. What you do with your life, how you, how, how you attack strongholds in your own personal life, and, and how you how you walk in faithfulness, taking risks with God, is, is just crucial to the whole thing. Now, here's one final statement we're going to make, and it is this. We take great risks to advance God's kingdom, all right? Ready? 
We take great risks to advance God's kingdom. Again, we take great risks to advance God's kingdom. You know, risk is part of the heritage of anyone who attends this church. Because it's all about risk here. And if you're part of this, then you, you get a bead on what God wants you to do. And you say to yourself, God can do this, whether by many or by few. That means God can use me. And you step into it and, and you see him work. And you are releasing blessing to others, not only in your family, but in this church body. When it comes to a, a, a short giving campaign like we have right now going on, the Fresh campaign, this is something we can do because we're a people who are willing to take great risks to advance God's kingdom. So Father, um, I just pray that you, you would release that spirit of risk and adventure to each one of us. And e even though we may say of ourselves, I'm not much for risk, you know, I'd like to play it safe. Uh, we, just, we just ask Father that you would release risk to each one of us. And that we would see you work in powerful ways in our life and in our church body through it. In Jesus' name. Amen.